Good morning. I want to welcome you all to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here, and I'm so glad that you're here. We've got a couple of announcements today. I'm going to call uh, Katie Jeter up to be ready. Um, she's going to tell us about the ice cream social. And as she comes up, I'm going to tell you um, we got lots of good news um, for the week. Um, one, we hosted a great retreat for people interested in ministry from around the state of South Carolina. They, um, your facilities are awesome. Our facilities are awesome here. We had a great time. Uh, Sheila fed us all from the Chocolate Toad. Uh, the contemporary band played for them. They came in here. They, um, we worshiped together and served communion together. We were in the social hall, and they learned a great deal about ministry. Um, second thing that's good news is I've got a different microphone. Can you all hear it differently today? Is it totally different? All right, that's um, credit to Jimmy Fowler, um, who found a mic that not only is more sensitive, but also goes wherever my head goes, because my head goes a lot of different other places. So um, thank you, Jimmy, for finding that. Three, um, the trustees got our grass mode out here on our lot. And uh, we're going to call it Grassy Lot Ministries. Um, people have said to me recently, I couldn't find a parking spot which is kind of cute in the beginning when you're growing and you know that's cool but then it gets annoying and they say I couldn't find a parking spot today so if you have a truck or SUV and you're willing to park in the grass I invite you to do so to save parking spots for those that don't have trucks or SUVs and I really anticipate the day when I'm driving a truck at some point in my ministry here and I can park uh, in the grassy lot uh, so I'm going to turn to Katie Jeter, and I do the children and family ministries here at Memorial, so I have two quick announcements to share from those departments. The first is that next Sunday, the 9th, is our annual ice cream social. And instead of being here on our church grounds, it's going to be under the large shelter out at Lake Robinson. So I hope you will join us. It starts at 5 o'clock. We'll have drinks and all of our other supplies out there, so just bring your favorite homemade ice cream to share or a dessert. The second announcement for children's ministries is that we're trying to update all of our information and keep it accurate and up to date. So on the children's Sunday school hallways, there are information sheets. And if you didn't get a chance to fill one out for me today, they'll be out there next Sunday and the rest of the month if we need to. Um, so just take a quick minute, please, and fill those out for me. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for supporting the idea of having books picking worship. If you ordered a book, they're in the back. Beth has them. And if you didn't order a book and would like to get one, as long as we have extras, we'll get them. If you put in the sign-up sheet, sign-up sheet that goes out the pew, if you put book out beside your name, we'll order another book for you, and it'll be here next week. Um, and I believe, oh, um, I'm going on vacation this week right after the service, and I'll be back on Saturday. Uh, Reverend John Rush has been here a while. Have you all ever heard of John? He's a good guy, decent guy, right? He's awesome. Uh, he visits people all the time, and John is going to uh, cover for me and visit um, people in the hospital and in the home as I'm gone this week and try not to look back so that we can get rested and relaxed and ready to go for the fall. I think that's it. Uh, so let's turn our hearts towards the Lord.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day in which we may gather in your house. And as we read your texts, as we sing your songs, as we pray your prayers, as we come to your table for Holy Communion, help us, Lord, to focus on your pursuing love, your gracious spirit, and your desperate desire to continue to offer us covenants, promises, hopes, and dreams in your name. Bless our time together in your house. Amen. Please stand for our opening hymn, number 371.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From then she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, we will um, give our tithes and other offerings. And if you could pass the sign-in sheets to the outside of your uh, row. And if you'll put book beside your name, if you would like us to order you a book.
Again, I want to thank you for your enthusiasm in working towards getting the books uh, for the series. Um, the books are very easy to get, and we can get um, anybody any number of books that they need, as long as you just let us know. I think it's going to be fun to um, pick them for what's coming in the year to really um, encourage us and press us um, to think about different things as the um, church year goes. And so there will be a cycle kind of like the lectionary, but it'll just be done in a totally different way. So um, this is a communion Sunday, so I knew this sermon would be short. And I knew there were five Sundays in the week, in the month, and so there are four chapters in the book. So we're going to look at chapter one, both this week and next week. And if you don't have a book, you'll be fine without the book. Um, but if you have one, this is what we're doing. Um, chapter one will be in this week and next week, and chapter two, um, the third week, chapter three, the fourth week. And the fifth week is a fifth Sunday. Y'all together on that? Fifth week is a fifth Sunday. And on the fifth Sunday, we combine our services. Now, looking throughout um, the bulletins of the entire year, I've seen, and looking way back on fifth Sundays, people go, eh, you know, going about this way or going that way. I've strongly encouraged the contemporary crowd to come over here on the fifth Sunday, and it's going to be here. Um, I want to get our signage and make it the best it can possibly be. I know you changed the times, but really make people aware that our fifth Sunday, we're here at 10 o'clock. I think it's a neat um, tradition. We'll make sure we cut the air down way low and uh, figure somebody's going to be close to your seat or maybe in your seat uh, from the other service because I told them to come over here. And we will say, welcome to my seat, and I will find another seat <laughs> five feet to your right. Um, so today not only has the theme of... Um, the book, but also of Holy Communion. And so I combine those two into the text that we're going to have today, and that is, um, you know what, I jumped some things, didn't I? <laughs> I'm goofy. I apologize for that. That's just me being antsy the first time we're ever having communion. Um, forgive me. I'll get that, I'll get that the next time. Um, so the scripture today is Mark 14, starting with verse 17. And that's found in your pew Bible on page 1579. 1579 in your pew Bible. Mark 14, verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. So, why they were eating is, I think, entirely significant. And that's because throughout the Bible, very significant things have been done in anticipation of eating, or while eating, or after eating. Jesus was teaching the people on the side of the uh, mountain, and uh, everybody's learning great things, and we're all excited, and his disciples say to him, this is all fun and great, and you're teaching us some powerful stuff, but these people are going to want to eat, so... Um, we're going to need to go. You need to send them home. Or you need to feed them. And he said, I want you to feed them. And in that moment, many more than 5,000 people are fed. There's a miracle in which everyone there has an abundance of food. 
And later on in uh, Luke 19, Zechariah is a tax collector, and tax collectors have a um, very difficult, awful job. They've been asked by the occupying Roman government, hey, you know your neighbors pretty well. You know exactly what they probably make. You've lived with them for a long time. I want you to really hit them up for harsh taxes and give them to us. And we don't really care how much more you charge over what they need, over what we need, as long as we get what we need. And so you can imagine if your neighbor, who you had shared barbecue dinners with, who you had supported, who you had picked up their mail for them, this person all of a sudden is taxing you beyond belief and is extremely wealthy. Zachariah is up in a tree because he can't see and no one cares because they all don't like him. And Jesus says, come down out of that tree, I'm going to um, eat dinner with you tonight. And at that dinner where several people are there who are among that crowd, Jesus says, you're all welcome. And Zachariah says, I'm going to give back. I'm going to give back what I've overcharged people. And in that moment around a meal, many, many people are converted. And so that's just two of many times in which food was really important. And so what have we United Methodists done? We eat just about every time we get together, right? That's, uh, that's what we do. Maybe something special will happen, but there'll definitely be barbecue and definitely apple pie. So, but this time, everyone is sad while they're eating. And they're sad because Jesus has said, not to an enormous group of people, but to a very tight group of people, his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. So everything we've sacrificed to be here, so many people around us and against us, but we, at least we have each other, okay? Someone among us is going to unravel us. So the scripture says in verse 19, they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. So there's a feeling that you get when someone suggests that someone did something. That makes you sort of anxious and you sort of hope that you weren't the one that did it. Whether it's to a large crowd or to it's a, sm or a small group. My mother used to say, did you leave a cup on the table without a coaster? And I would say no. And she'd say, well, somebody did. <laughs> the implication being, it wasn't me, buddy. Must have been you. Now, I'd be interested to see how many times my dad did it. Um, but he didn't pick up the check. I had to pick up the check. So I got a text from Katie this week, and she said, I was here at work, and she said, did you leave the ice cream on top of the refrigerator? And I wrote back, that's insane. Who would do that? Okay, I'm, first of all, I'm the only one that can put it up there. <laughs> but uh, no, I didn't do that. I had no recollect. Why would I put the ice cream on top of the refrigerator? And it's like 10 a.m. So the only thing that happened was the morning. And then I thought, and I went, huh, um, maybe the waffles were behind the ice cream. <laughs> and I texted her back, and I said, I think the waffles were behind the ice cream. She was like, right. Before I was even to explain, and she was like, yeah, I knew it was you, buddy. <laughs> but when someone says, someone here left uh, this undone, or that undone, or these things on, or these things off, or whatever you think, oh, was it me? And they say, surely you don't mean me, Lord. He says in verse 20 and 21, it is one of the 12, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. 
it would be better for him if he had not been born. So the question is, if you're Jesus, and you're the Son of God, and you're all-powerful, and you're looking at us 12, and you know that someone's going to betray you, why don't you stop it? Stop. You tell us about it, stop it. Do something. As many of us would do if we saw something that didn't look great, looked like it was going to be bad, stop it from happening. This is a notion that Peter had the first time Jesus ever mentioned this, way back. When you're up around the Sea of Galilee, this isn't Jerusalem, it's beautiful, or by the water, and there's mountains, and there's, um, we got great crowds, and they're all following us. And Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the one. And Jesus says, in that moment, we're going to have to go to Jerusalem. We're going to have to leave this place. We're going to have to go to a place. I'm talking about, you know we've had these people have been sort of grumpy with the way we're doing it. We're going to go to their home base, and we're going to bring what we're doing to them. And they're not going to like it. And they're going to bring me up on charges. That's the only thing I can imagine would happen. And when we go into charges, I'm going to be found guilty because they don't want me there. And when I'm found guilty, there'll be some sort of punishment. And Peter pulls him aside and says, what are you talking about? Why are you telling them this? It's really, it's great. It's amazing out here. Do something about it. And that notion is at the heart of chapter one of this book by Adam Hamilton White. If you see tragic things in this world, God, I want you to do something about it. I want you to stop it before it happens. So here's, um, I've got three quotes of the day from the book. Here's the first one. And it's a misconception. Adam says, this, this phrase is a misconception. If God is loving and just, then God must not be all-powerful. Or, if God is all-powerful, God must not be loving and just. Because if God were all-power and loving and just, then God would stop evil, pain, and suffering in our world. So here's, that's the feeling that people have. They may not express it, but they wonder, why does this stuff keep happening? these shootings and these natural disasters and these illnesses, especially to my loved one who's just a good person and she runs every day. How could she get sick? So I'll counter that question with, oh, with a question. A parent loves a child unconditionally. Parent is teaching the child to ride a bike. Child cuts the wheel too hard because that's the first lesson you got to learn just about is cutting the wheel too hard, you're going to eat it. And child eats it on the sidewalk. Does that parent love that child? Yes. Does that, parent, does that parent want that child to eat it on the sidewalk to teach them a lesson? In no way, shape, or form. And if that parent didn't feel that way about that child, why would God feel that way about us? And if you think in that way, then that, I think that changes this phrase that's such a misconception that Adam Hamilton brings up. The second quote of the day. Our disappointment with God in the face of suffering or tragedy or injustice typically stems from our assumptions about how God is supposed to act in our world. So, um, I, I forget who told me this or where I read it or heard whatever. They said, surprise people behave badly. You ever heard that before? 
Surprised people behave badly. If you don't communicate what's going to happen and what you're doing, and people have expectations about what's going to happen and those aren't met, they get grumpy. And that's in church, that's in your office, that's in your home. I think it most often happens at home because the two people were like, well, we live with each other. I probably understand what you're doing. And they're like, well, I probably understand what you're doing. And then the thing doesn't happen and then somebody gets upset. Surprised people behave badly. So our disappointment with God in the face of suffering stems from our assumptions about how God is supposed to work. God, you should be fixing this. But how does that work with what I was just describing? That God can't stop when humans make choices, either for themselves or they make choices that harm someone else. So verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. And what's significant about that? Since there have been God in human beings, there have been covenants initiated by God. Most people, when they think of covenant, they think of rule. And when they think of rule, they think of how far I can stretch that rule. And when they break the rule and they have some sort of punishment, they think, what's my punishment going to be for stretching this rule too far and breaking it? And is that what God intended when God first established the covenant? Mm -mm. The first thing God ever does in any situation in the Bible that precedes any covenant is love and provide. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. And I'm going to set you up with a structure that I think will give you an abundant life. And what do the people do? <sighs> Rules. That's the first thing they think. Rules. Oh, and how can we... Are these, wait, do these rules apply to us? And how can we modify these rules? How can we change them in any way, shape,